The Roman Martyrology for the third day of April. The festival of the seven dolors of the most blessed Virgin Mary. At Rome, the birthday of blessed Pope Sixtus I, martyr, who ruled the church with distinction during the reign of Emperor Hadrian. And finally, in the reign of Antoninus Pius, he gladly accepted temporal death in order to gain Christ for himself. At Taormina in Sicily, Bishop St. Pancratius, who sealed with a martyr's blood the gospel of Christ that the apostle St. Peter had sent him there to preach. At Thomas in Scythia, the birthday of the holy martyrs Evagrius and Beninius. At Tyre, the martyr St. Vulpian, who was sewn up in a sack with a serpent and a dog and drowned in the sea during the persecution of Maximian Galerius. At Thessalonica, the martyrdom of the Holy Virgins Agape and Caonia, under Emperor Diocletian. Because they would not deny Christ, they were first detained in prison, then cast into the fire where, untouched by the flames, they gave up their souls to their Creator while praying. Their sister Irene had been imprisoned with them, but was to die later. In the monastery of Medicion in Bithynia, Abbot St. Nicetus, who suffered a great deal for the veneration of sacred images in the time of Leo the Armenian. In England, St. Richard, Bishop of Chichester, celebrated for his sanctity and glorious miracles. At Fermutiers, in the districts of Meaux, St. Burgundufuara, also known as St. Farah, Abbess and Virgin and in other places many other holy martyrs, confessors, and virgins. Thanks be to God. This is St. Peter and Volo Podcast, and I'm Father Nathan. And today with me is our very own Brother Joseph Brom. Hey, Father how's it going? I am very well. Good. Um, I feel you that was directed to our audience. Sorry. Okay. No, that's fine. No, I was just thinking. So I was How thinking are... about that when we say hello. I mean, obviously, we've been sitting here talking before we turn on the microphone, but then we turn and we say hello, which is a customary greeting in this society. And then, but we're we're not, we're clearly talking to our audience. So I'm just working through this. Um, when we say hello, we're saying hi to you out there. Uh, so and we're off to an auspicious start already. Right, auspicious. Exactly. That's a great word to begin. Under the auspices of Mary. Okay. You know, the uh, in the bee garden, which we have three hives with buzzing bees now on this bright sunny day, we have a big lattice work, which uh, we built was it last year? Last year. And it has a A and an M mixed in with the lattices. And that AM symbol intermingled AM uh, is a, um, it, it means auspice Maria, under the auspices of Mary, or under the, the, the gaze, or under the protection of Mary. So let's place this, this podcast under the auspices of Mary, and we begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And of course, today is the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, which is the Friday before Good Friday or the Friday after Passion Sunday in the Extraordinary Form. Uh, in the Ordinary Form, this day is September seven, September 15th, celebrated the sor- Sorrows of Our Lady. But here, uh, but in the Extraordinary Form, it is on this day. And on the 15th of September. And on the 15th of yeah. September. Right, yeah. So there's two. And that's great. That is just great. Um, so, Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, and of course, it's First Friday. It's first Friday, and tomorrow's first Saturday, and then it's Palm Sunday and Holy Week, a very auspicious occasion, all of these things. So what are the seven sorrows of Our Lady? What are the seven sorrows? Um, So first we have the prophecy of Simeon, Uh which was when uh, Simeon told Our Lady, um, this child is set for the fall and for the rise of many uh, nations, Um, and And your heart to a sword shall pierce right and that's where we get the the symbol um, of the seven sorrows is our lady's heart pierced with seven seven daggers mm-hmm. um so that's you know the first that predicts the other six basically mm-hmm. um then finally or not finally next is the flight into egypt right um the holy family has to flee for their lives um, mm-hmm. from the terror of of herod trying to kill all the uh, all the boys in uh, Bethlehem, two yep. years old or less. Right. Um, and then when uh, our Lord is, they lose him on the way back from Jerusalem. Right. Um, and then they, you know, they find him in the temple. But before that, I'm sure they were quite... Uh, for three days, they for, searched for him. How terrifying. Yes. If, you're, if your child is the son of God and you lose him for three days, it's uh, no doubt an anxiety right. that is... Not fully comprehended. (laughs) Um, Then the fourth is meeting Jesus on his way to Calvary. So this is also commemorated in the the Stations of the Cross. Right. Um, And then standing at... What station is that? Oh, boy. Sixth? No, that's Veronica. Oh, boy. We should know this. Is it four? I honestly don't know. Oh, wow. Uh, So, yeah, we're going to look that up. And uh, get back to you on that. It's one of the stations, though. Right. Um, the next is then um, Our Lady at the foot of the cross, um, joining with uh, Our Lord in His Passion. The next sixth is Jesus being taken down from the cross and being placed in her arms. And then seventh and last is the the burial of Jesus. So we see through um, the seven sorrows, Our Lady. Um, joining with uh, our Lord and his passion in yeah, various all, ways. All of the sorrows have to do with Christ. Mm-hmm. Then she has no sorrows outside of Christ because all of her heart belongs to Christ. And therefore she participates perfectly in the, in the sorrows of Christ. And yeah, so uh, that, which is, yeah, it's remarkable, right? So 
we can have sorrow about so many other things. We can have sorrow about earthly things that we are too attached to, right? I've I've lost my bike. Um, <laughs> uh, someone stole my bicycle, um, for example, and and I can be filled with sorrow about this, which is there's certain on a level that's natural. But if if we are to be perfect, we should have our heart completely set on God and on God's will, and all of our sorrows, which we still will have sorrows, will be sorrows according to the truth, will be perfect sorrows. This is what Mary had, perfection of sorrow, um, which just goes to show that the gospel is not just about being happy. It is ultimately about, about happiness, but there are sorrows on the way, but they are the right sorrows. Yeah, and it's um, very interesting to think about that. You know, Mary's main sorrows all involved the, the suffering of of her son, in one way or another. Um, and actually, one of the names earlier names for this feast day is the Compassion of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Compassio, the 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 suffer with. You know, be in the Passion with Christ, and that's the very you know one of the early very names of this feast day is commemorating her suffering with Christ, not by her own physical suffering, but by um, uniting her suffering of the loss of her son with her son's uh, suffering. And, you know, in in times such as these, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, most of us, our only job, in a sense, is to stay home and stay out of the way. Um, and... There are so many people who are on the front lines of, of treating patients and all this sort of thing. And many of us can really have no active part in that. We'd just get in the way or be more likely to transmit the disease or whatever. And so this is a beautiful way for us to remember Our Lady is to think of her compassion, her suffering with, and um, offer our, our suffering and our worries with all those who are kind of on the front lines of this um, and offer offer that to God. Right. But it, it also, so that, it also says that, like Our Lady would have always um, done whatever she could that was the right thing for her to do in terms of suffering, right? So she would have, uh, she would have not stood by and watched someone suffer if she could do something about it. And yet she was resigned when she had to stand at the foot of the cross and watch her son suffer and to do nothing. And it must have killed her to do to do nothing when her son was being beaten and scourged and crucified. So there's that there's the right place for us uh, to be, you know, in the will of God. Um, and compassion is to to be resigned when when it is correct to be resigned and to be active when it's correct to be active. She actively searched for her son for three days. Mm-hmm. Found him in the temple. Spoiler. So how did we, um, how did we get to this feast day? It's right. kind of, it's kind of shocking. Um, you know, we've been going in purple vestments, no, no Gloria for the last, you know, uh, almost six weeks now. And all of a sudden, one week before Good Friday, we see white vestments, we see the Gloria being sung again, 
Um, it's kind of a very shocking juxtaposition from the rest of from the rest of Lent. So how did we how did we get here? Um, and it's like many feast days, the history is long and complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, I guess, the first kind of real um, mention of it on on paper anywhere is a provincial synod of Cologne in fourteen thirteen. Um, kind of um, assigned a feast of the commemoration of the sorrows of Our Lady to the third, the Friday after the third Sunday after Easter, in order to expiate the crimes of the iconoclast Hussites. Wow! So that was the first. You know, there was this group of of heretics who one of their things they got wrong was the destruction of images, and um, this that could happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So this local synod, in order to um, to do penance for for that, instituted this feast of what what became later, you know, the Our Lady of Sorrows. Um, but then it was found in various places under various names: the Compas- Compassio, or the Transfixio, or the Commendatio Lamentatio of the Blessed Virgin Mary, in various. Um, Various dates in Easter time, or shortly after Pentecost, or sometimes it was fixed on a particular day, July eighteenth in Merseburg, or um, July twentieth in Naumburg, or you know just various. Right. So these were all post-Easter feasts. Right. And so, how did we get? So how right? Yeah. yeah. So how? Why? Why is this the the Friday before? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess which um, makes more sense to me than Easter, right? Honestly, uh, but. yeah. Um, and so the first um, mention of it being given on the Friday before Palm Sunday is it was granted to the Servite nuns in Valencia in the year sixteen hundred. Valencia, Valencia, right? Um, and then it expanded from there uh, to various places in France, in particular, and then it was given that date for the whole German Empire in the 17th century. And I guess, you know, it makes sense to have it as close to Good Friday as possible mm-hmm. because um, the main focus of, of this feast day is Our Lady at the Foot of the Cross, while the feast in September is more broadly about the, the Seven Sorrows. Um, okay. And so even though this is called the Feast of the Seven Dollars, the Seven Sorrows, mm-hmm. um you know, the, because it's so close to Good Friday, the main focus is uh, Our Lady at the foot of the cross. And so I guess this is the, the closest day you can get without stumbling into very, very highly ranked feast days, such as all of Holy Week or right. all of Easter Week. That can't be nothing, no other celebrations can, can take place on, on those days. Right. And you see this a lot in the liturgical year mm-hmm. where you have, um, because, for example, St. John Cantius. Uh, is on he died on December twenty fourth, right? But December twenty fourth is the vigil of Christmas, at least in the old calendar, um, and so it he would not be if he was celebrated on the twenty fourth, he would be forgotten about. Right, you so couldn't he, celebrate him. So you couldn't celebrate mm-hmm. him. So they moved it onto the twenty third, which right. is why in the ordinary form, uh, Saint John Cantus is celebrated on the twenty third, or like Corpus Christi. Um, Corpus Christi is the Thursday after the 
octave day of Pentecost. So the idea, I guess, is um, it's to give more prominence to the institution of the Eucharist because, well, that happened on on um, Holy Thursday. Mm-hmm. There's so many other things going on, you know, within within hours of that celebration. We have, um, you know, the most penitential day of the whole year, and so they found, I guess, the first Thursday outside of the Easter season, and then that's how they fixed Corpus Christi. You know, it was on a Thursday because that's when our, the Last Supper was on a Thursday, but it's outside the Easter season to be able to give it the prominence it deserves without um, having to focus on other other things going on at the same time. Right. So the Corpus Christi had, uh, there was the miracle of Bolsena, uh, which was inspired, but it was also a, a sister had revelations from Christ who said that our Lord wanted a piece of the Holy Eucharist outside um, outside of Holy Week, or out, yeah. you know, prob- as it is, and so what it does, it emphasizes the Eucharist as Christ's presence remaining with us post Pentecost, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is you know shows you know which is a different emphasis, same mystery obviously as the the Last Supper, but it it just it's, you look at it from a different angle, and uh, and so we, and uh, please God, we will be able to have a wonderful procession for Corpus Christi this year, um, with the enduring presence of our Lord processed. And I think uh, since we've been processing up and down uh, the street in the last few years, I think we should definitely make our Eucharistic procession go all through Volo. We'll see. We'll see how the. Uh, how it works out, but right. I'm looking forward to some pretty big feasts when all this is over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. So anyway, so yeah, so that's why, that's why, that's... we got to where we are. Um, so this feast of Our Lady of Sorrows is within, is before Holy Week, um, and it's a Friday. I was thinking of it today as kind of the last practice Friday before Good Friday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, all of Lent we prepare ourselves for Holy Week. Holy Week is that one week around which the whole liturgical year and our whole life revolves. But Lent is this preparation step by step up to Calvary and up to the participation of in the mystery of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah, there's some interesting liturgical tidbits about this feast day too. So even though in the ordinary form they uh, removed this feast day from from today, they probably thought that it kind of was too much of a disruption from the, um, you know, getting ready for for Holy Week. Um, This shocking Gloria and white vestments seems out of place, you know, right before Palm Sunday. Not that we know the minds of the Council Fathers. Um, And so they decided to just uh, focus on our latest sorrows on September fifteenth, and so there's one our latest sorrows instead of two in the ordinary form. But this morning at mass, um, unlike every other day of Lent, there are, are two options for the opening prayer for mass, and the one of them is actually a prayer commemorating our latest sorrows. And mm-hmm. so, while it's not the feast of our latest sorrows, they definitely were aware of that fact mm-hmm. um, when they when they picked that that extra prayer. Um, in the extraordinary form, the, the reading 
today is from the book of Judith, and it's um, Uzziah's praise of Judith when he says, Blessed art thou, O daughter, by the Lord the Most High God, above all women upon the earth. Blessed be the Lord who made heaven and earth, because he hath so magnified thy name this day, that thy praise shall not depart out of the mouth of men, who shall be mindful of the power of the Lord forever. Which sounds a whole lot like the Magnificat. Every generation will call, call me blessed. blessed. Right. Yeah. And so this is, um, so Judith can be seen as an Old Testament type of Mary. Right. More typology for these times. Ooh. <laughs> yes. A um, couple of other interesting tidbits. So most people are familiar with the, the Stabat Mater. Um, that's most often known to be sung during the Stations of the Cross. Um, but it, like many um, devotional practices, actually has its origin in, in the liturgy. And so this Feast Early of Sorrows is one of the five days with uh, in the whole calendar with a sequence, which is a big, long poem sung before the Gospel. The only other ones are Easter, Pentecost, Corpus Christi, a Mass for the Dead, and then um, and then today, Our Lady of Sorrows. So the Stabat Mater found its origin um, in the liturgy of today and of September 15th. Another interesting fact that I found is that in some places, none that I've seen, but according to the internet, this is true, some places have a Via Mater in the style of the, the Via Crucis or Stations of the Cross, and so um, in some places you might be able to find seven stations set up um, for the seven sorrows of Our Lady. And then uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia suggests that such a devotion can be made in one's merry garden or home if it isn't publicly available. You know where this is available? I don't. Uh, Marytown, the side chapel, is oh. dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows. Sure, and, and the there seven are windows. Seven uh, not the windows, but the no. paintings in between the windows. Okay, right. Are these beautiful oil paintings of of the seven sorrows of Our Lady? Uh, they're yeah, they're absolutely beautiful. And the altar there has a beautiful mosaic of the heart of Mary with the seven daggers. So the whole chapel is r- really uh, focused around uh, the sorrows of Our Lady, including the windows. The, mm-hmm. the windows do, but the, it's the the paintings there. Uh, that, yeah. So that's specifically a place near us where this devotion is possible right. in ordinary times. Uh, so, but not in times such as these. Yeah, unfortunately, we have to do this virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of things that can or cannot be done virtually, yes. Um, so in times such as these. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of talk about um, confession, uh, general absolution, and uh, there have been some priests who have uh, made good-hearted but misguided attempts to um, stretch the uh, validity of the sacraments in some interesting ways. There was, I saw um, a couple... Uh, places where the priests were advertising that over a live stream, they were going to, for instance, uh, offer a general absolution over over the live stream, 
Mm-hmm. Or in fact, there was a, I think, I don't want to get it wrong, there was a cardinal in the Far East, Pacific Islands somewhere, who uh, in fact did attempt to mm-hmm. offer general absolution to the people watching on a live stream. And all the reactions that I saw to this were no, no, and no, that is not possible, that is invalid, that cannot be done. And, you know, any, or, you know, most uh, faithful Catholics, when they hear about something like that, their kind of spidey sense uh, goes off and they think, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right, but why, why isn't that right? And, um, so I think it'd be good to talk about that a little bit. Like, what is it about um, in-person confession that you know, is, is necessary for, for confession? Um, a, a, a priest made the comparison uh, that if you had um, a piece of bread and uh, a, a glass of wine on your counter and you were uh, live streaming a mass, None of us would expect that the priest, even if he intended with all his heart to consecrate that bread and wine on your kitchen table in front of the TV screen, mm-hmm. uh, no one thinks that he would be able to do that. So that's probably a good analogy to draw as to why something like uh, general absolution over over live stream is not not possible. Um, so what what is it about you know the kind of uh, face-to-face, if not face-to-face, but in-person interaction that is necessary for for confession? Well, it is. The sacraments are... um, The sacraments are a means by which we are in the presence of Christ. Um, The Eucharist, above all, uh, is itself the presence of Christ. Um, And all the sacraments flow from that, from the presence of Christ, or we could say the touch of Christ, you know, baptism, the, the water touches and, the, and sacred oils and anointing in baptism and confirmation and anointing, uh, ordination and the, the, there's that closeness, uh, and the whole, the whole economy of grace, economy of the sacraments is the reality, the incarnational reality of Christ being present in his ministers, uh, in those who are who uh, communicate the presence of Christ uh, by the gifts that are given to them. So, all the it is necessary for all the sacraments to uh, to be present. There are no there are no sacraments that are done from afar. Um, But consider this, the Urbi et Orbi blessing, where uh, Pope Francis blessed the entire world with uh, benediction. And and it was received all over the world from those who uh, willed to receive it. How is that different? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Putting the question back to you, Ooh. Brother Joseph. I think um, one way in that it is different is that um, so the, the the Pope intended to bless everyone who was willing to receive it. So those who mm-hmm. he intended to bless those who were watching over live stream or those who 
couldn't but wanted to be united to this blessing. Um, but that's different than blessing through the live stream, if that makes sense. Um, and so the an act of blessing, um, it it doesn't have that that personal touch that 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 um, confession does. So confession is really it's a it's a conversation. Um, it's the only sacrament that doesn't involve an, an inanimate object like a bread and wine or, or oil. What and about marriage? Marriage. Um, oh. Well, there are rings. I don't know. <laughs> a Guess ring not. does not a marriage make. That is true. <laughs> That's an old saying that I just that I just said right here for the first time. Wonderful. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think the the difference is that um, maybe the priest is the inanimate object <laughs> <laughs> at a wedding <laughs> right because we, yeah, we, we believe that the priest only witnesses the, the marriage he doesn't make right. the marriage valid the spouses themselves are the ministers are of the, the sacrament right and that's why in um, some places um, when the bride and groom you know very often you'll see in the wedding procession the groom and groomsmen are already up in front and then the bridesmaids come down one by one um, but another way of doing it is that the bride and groom come up arm in arm behind the priest because they are the primary ministers of of the sacrament um, you know in a normal procession so it's all the service and the priest comes last because he's the the most important one in that procession. Mm -hmm. But um, sometimes in a wedding procession, it'll be the same thing, but then the bride and groom with their attendants come last because they are the ministers of that sacrament. Yeah, I guess that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. um, typically here, um, the priest would, the priest uh, processes with the altar servers uh, to the sanctuary, and then he waits for the, for the sacred ministers. Mm -hmm. Who eventually arrive right. in the sanctuary, <laughs> and, uh, and then the ceremony begins. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. So getting back to the so how you know there's a lot to think about here. So the question is, and here's another question, which is is sort of tied to this: Is there more grace from attending a mass, uh, attending? Loosely, we, we mean that loosely. Attending a mass by a live stream, is there more grace to watch it live than there is to watch it uh, an hour later? Wow, that's a fun question. Um, well, really, there's only there's only one mass in all time and space, right? Uh -huh. um, but at the same time. Um, this kind of instance of it is happening here and now. Um, and so I, I think it's it's more appropriate, I would say, to join yourself with a Mass as it is ongoing rather than one that has already happened. Um, but, you know, you do what you can. Um, huh. If you're not able to watch as it as it happens live 
-hmm. or delayed by a couple seconds or whatever it happens to be you know god is pleased with whatever what with the best we are able to to give him um and so you know just like watching the live stream is better than nothing it would also be better if people were able to be physically present um, at the mass to be to be there in person which is you know see but here and here's the thing mm. is that so that's a different that's a whole nother jump to mm -hmm. be present right because once you're already separated from it by live stream there's a certain way that which you're not present to it mm -hmm. and not to diminish what people are doing right now that's you know that's it's wonderful but this is exactly what we're talking about in the sacraments is that there's a presence required we go to assist at mass we strive to be there on time uh, at least in the western church to uh to arrive on time in order to be present to the mystery that is being celebrated in front of us and this is why Catholics always strive to get to the front of the church and be in the front pews so that they are more present to the liturgy. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's, you know, that's why I arrive, <laughs> arrive early to get to the front. Mm -hmm. um, no, but, you know, there, so there's, uh, yeah, so... So there's that presence that is required for sacraments. All the sacraments require presence. Um, if not, uh, we and with the whole this whole sacramental reality has to do with the fact that that Christ used real things; that He was a real person in uh, in on Earth in time who picked up mud and put it in someone's eye to heal them, and He did not need to do that. But he chose to do that. He chose to uh, use this reality. And at the same time, it's the same Lord who said to the centurion, your is it daughter or son? Your servant. Servant, yes. Your servant will be healed. And then he went home and far away mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. realized that his servant indeed had been healed at that very hour. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So our Lord does... He does bless from afar, uh, and yet in the sacraments, he uh, he remains. He wants to be present to us and wants us to be present to him. Right. The so, yeah. The, the sacraments are an encounter with Christ. Um, an, an encounter. I mean, they're. I correct me if I'm wrong, but the sacraments are a way, a continuation of the incarnation, in a sense. Um, they are God's presence. Yeah, they're God's presence among us through His Church, mm -hmm. particularly through um, you know the the clergy who are acting in the person of of Christ the Head, mm -hmm. um, showing God to the world through the sacraments, communicating the Christ to the world mm -hmm. through the sacraments, and yeah, so we. Yeah, we're we're a very incarnational people. You know, that's we we need to be, and we need to remain such. And even in the time of live live stream, uh, there is something that must remain incomplete in that, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. because that the completion of the sacrament, in terms of uh, 
receiving our Lord has not yet occurred. Yeah, not yet, but it shall. It will. Someday. Someday. Mm-hmm. We know not when. Mm-hmm. We know not the day or the hour. But we shall see him face to face. It's a beautiful day out there. At least now as we're uh, recording this. And I hope it's a beautiful day wherever you are. Know that we are praying for you at every Mass. We, The Mass is effective. Uh, we can unite our hearts to the Mass long distance through live stream or just through our through our intentions, through making that spiritual communion. So continue to make that spiritual communion. Tune into St. John Cantius live stream, available on their YouTube page and on cantius.org and in any places where St. John Cantius can be found. I just want to say thank you to a few people who have reached out and said thank you for the podcast. Uh, Aaron and Julie Smith, Debbie Boucher, Matthew Ksiziak, Brianna Palmore, Emily Betts, Vicki Dreger, the Luminellos, the Sarsox, the Bielowitzes, Joseph and Teresa Auer. Thank you for listening, and thank you for all those who are listening and staying in touch. And let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.